1: Today, we're speaking with Dr. Jennifer Conrad. Dr. Conrad founded the PAW Project in 1999 and has been working on ending declawing in the U.S. and in Canada ever since using education, research, and legislation. The PAW Project is composed completely of veterinarians and compiled the evidence, proposed the legislation, drafted the language of the legislation, built the coalition of support, and retained representatives for every law prohibiting declawing in the U.S., including New York State. The PAW Project is supporting active bills to prohibit declawing in New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, West Virginia, California, and possibly Illinois. In August 2019, the PAW Project initiated the claw-friendly certification program for veterinary hospitals that do not offer declawing. Welcome to the show, Dr. Conrad. Thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of having decline, not in our world anymore, put it that way. So I'm very, very eager to talk about this topic. But first and foremost, if you could share with our listeners, how did you get interested in becoming a veterinarian and get really passionate about this topic?
2: I grew up in a family of all medical doctors, human doctors, and I thought, I don't really want to spend my days saving humans when they're endangered species and other animals who really won't have a chance later on. You know, in 20 years, there will definitely be humans, but there might not be any tigers or elephants or rhinos. So I decided I wanted to spend my time working to help them. And I went to UC Davis Vet School, and they let me specialize in my last two years on wildlife medicine. Being a kitty lover all my life, I thought, wow, kitties come in all sorts of sizes, and isn't it fun to work with kitties that are big? But at that time, I didn't realize that they were getting declawed, and I realized soon after that I had 40 patients who were suffering from declawing to some extent, big cats. I'm talking about leopards, tigers, lions, and I thought, something has to be done. They can't walk. Something has to be done for them. So I took a three-year-old tiger to surgery to repair his feet claw and after the surgery, he stood up like he was a regular cat, like he had no more problems with his feet. And I really felt like I was on to something, and I started repairing the paws on these big cats. That is how I got into it.
1: That's interesting. So it was the big cats, not necessarily the little cats that got you going, but you've become extremely passionate about our regular domesticated house cats and why declawing is bad for our house cats. I guess first and foremost for our listeners, specifically, what does declawing mean and how has it been used? I have seen cats that have had all four paws declawed, and it's extremely unfortunate. You know, over the years, it's rare. Usually, it's the front paws, but I have seen declawing happen on all four paws. Maybe share with us what declawing is all about and why we should not have this in our communities.
2: Well, declawing is a misnomer. It is really more appropriately called denuckling. It is the amputation of a toe bone. Now, remember, our nails grow from skin. If you look at our fingers, the nails grow from skin. But a cat's claws actually grow from the bone. And so in order to remove the claw, you have to remove at least part of the bone, most of the time all of the bone that they grow from. So it is really denuckling. It is the amputation of that last bone in a cat's toe. I can't believe that people would do that to their cats if they really knew what it was. So that's why it's very important for every listener out there to say to their friends and family at every opportunity, do you realize what declawing is? Because if we could spread the word, we could protect a lot of cats.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. When I was doing adoptions and counseling people with how to handle cats with their claws in their home and why declawing was not a good idea. And I mean, it's still an important part of every conversation when we have adoptions. I say, hold out your fingers and just chop off that first knuckle. And that's what life is like for the cat. And as you say, once people hear that, they are shocked and appalled. Is that how it's described in a veterinary office? When someone asks about declawing or furniture issues and a veterinarian says, well, you could have your cat declawed, how do they present it?
2: I think that veterinarians who are pro-declawing aren't going to say, hey, this is an amputation. It's one of the most painful surgeries in all of veterinary medicine that's routinely performed and it's going to be 10 times that pain because we have to do 10 toes in the front and eight toes in the back. They're not going to say it like that. Many of them even say, hey, it's the way I do it is different. I use a laser, which <laughs> cost $40,000, and now I have 40,000 reasons to declaw your cat. No, they're going to say, oh, it's different the way I do it. I use the best pain medicine, whatever they're going to say to promote it. That's why it's more important that people know before they go to their veterinarian what declawing is so that they don't even have that conversation with the veterinarian. They don't even entertain that that's the right thing to do to a cat. But it's
1: unfortunate because we've been taught, take your cat to the veterinarian. Your veterinarian is going to know what to do and how to help your cat for whatever issue you might have. So that's the unfortunate part is that we're depending on them for advice, but yet they might be leading us down the wrong path. For those of us that are in the sheltering world and the animal cat rescue world that come across declawed cats, we see a lot of behavioral issues that happen as a result of a cat being declawed. I mean, in addition to having that cat live with chronic pain, there's also a lot of behavioral issues that you see. What are those issues that you've seen over the years that you've been involved?
2: Well, I would say that dequad cats are going to come home from the surgery. They've had their toes amputated. They go to use the litter box. They dig in it, and they say, this hurts. I'm never, ever using this again. Then they realize that they've been robbed of their primary way of defending themselves, their claws, and then they're going to go to biting. And it's statistically proven that declawed cats use the litter box less and bite harder and more often than clawed cats. So you can imagine that if a person brought a cat in because they're intolerant of the normal cat behavior, which is scratching, that that person is going to be very intolerant of the cat not using the litter box or biting or both. And so declawed cats are readily available in shelters. They've lost their homes. Or you often find them in feral cat colonies where people have dumped them outside, It is not a good idea ever to address a behavioral issue with a surgery. That is not how you do it. A behavioral issue needs to be addressed with behavioral modification. And a surgical issue, let's say like anatomical pathology in a toe, that would be one toe only, most likely. Anatomical pathology is an appropriate thing to address with surgery, not behavior.
0: Hey, everybody, Stacy here with the Community Cats Podcast, and I just wanted to let everybody know that Early Bird Ticketing is open for our 2020 online cat conference, which will be on January 24th through the 26th. So we will get together on the evening of the 24th with Chelsea White, who has a YouTube show that's perfectly awesome. And then we will be getting together on the 25th and the 26th for two full days of jam-packed information all about community Community cats and community cat programs. So this is a virtual convention for anyone who'd like to help community cats. Please go to onlinecatconference.com to sign up today. Also, if you'd like to become an affiliate as a fundraiser for your organization, the information is right there on the website, as well as sponsorship opportunities. So I hope you'll check it out go to www.onlinecatconference.com and we look forward to seeing you then. Hey everyone, Hooch and I are here today to talk about Dr. Elsie's cat litter. Dr. Elsie's cat litter is known to be the best litter on the market and Hooch agrees. Many of you know that Hooch was a foster cat of mine that I adopted while at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. We did use the Touch of Outdoors litter as we transitioned him from being an indoor-outdoor kitty to an indoor-only kitty. I'm thrilled that Hooch found his home with me, but there were many times when folks would call me saying their kitty didn't use the litter box. I was also thrilled that Dr. Elsie's Cat Attract litter came out as it gave me a resource to share with others that was affordable and in most cases successful in keeping this kitty in their home. As a special benefit to Community Cats podcast listeners, Dr. Elsie's is offering a rebate up to $20 off your first bag of any Dr. Elsie's litter. Just visit Dr. communitycatspodcast forward slash Community Cats podcast to print your rebate or fill out the online form. Try Dr. Elsie's today and you won't regret it
1: it sounds like through this passion, you've become an incredible advocate and really been proposing legislation. I used to always say this, you know, is illegal in England. And that was another reason why when I would tell folks that you should never consider declawing, you know, that there are European countries that have made it illegal.
2: And tell us a little bit about uh, New York State. Well, New York State is the first state in the United States to ban the declawing of cats. It happened on July 22, 2019. Governor Cuomo signed the bill that bans declawing. His signing statement is so powerful. It says that declawing is cruel, unnecessary, archaic. And by having the governor of a big state say that that's the way he feels about declawing, I think that the rest of the United States should follow One person said to me, well, it's not illegal in Ohio, so I'm going to keep doing it. Just because it's not illegal in Ohio doesn't mean it's not cruel, doesn't mean that it's not unnecessary, and doesn't mean that we should be taking advantage of the fact that we live in 2019 and we know better now. We know that this is the wrong thing to do to CAPS. No matter where you are, it's the wrong thing. As a result of the New York
1: ruling, it sounds like you do have some momentum going in some other... States, you mentioned New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, West Virginia, California, and possibly Illinois and Florida. So the list is getting longer and longer. Are these bills that the PAW Project is supporting? Or are you working in concert with other organizations, other animal welfare groups to get bills proposed in legislature?
2: Well, the PAW Project is really behind all of them. The PAW Project is, as you probably know, the world's largest organization dedicated solely to ending declawing. And it's very important to us to make sure that the legislation is good legislation. We don't want to have a bad law. For instance, sometimes what will happen is the veterinary medical associations will try and introduce an exception into the law they would say something like, what about the woman who has super thin skin and she's on Coumadin and we don't want her not to have her cat. What if she has to declaw it? Well, what we're trying to say is There's no good reason to declaw a cat. You don't have to declaw a cat if you have super thin skin or a baby in the house or you're on Coumadin or you have HIV. And you don't have to declaw your cat because, remember, declawed cats bite more. And a bite wound is much more dangerous than a scratch. If you call the emergency room and say, hey, I've been scratched by my cat, they will say, well, wash it and watch it. But if you call the emergency room and you say, I've been bitten by my cat, they'll say, come in, you have to go on antibiotics. A bite wound is a serious, serious problem for people who are immunocompromised or even people who are not. So by declawing the cat, you're giving yourself a false sense of security because that cat is going to bite. And you can ask any vet tech or any groomer which cat they think they're going to get bitten by and always saying the declawed cat. So, we don't want to introduce these exemptions into the laws because what it is is the Veterinary Medical Association is trying to make an exception that will swallow the rule. So the project has to sit very closely on top of all the legislation to make sure it is a good law. And in New York State, where we just passed that law, it is a good law. In Los Angeles, where we've passed a law, in all the other North American cities, we've passed the law. They are good laws. They do not allow for stupid excuses to de So you have
1: passed laws in various cities. Then once the state law is passed, that just supersedes any local legislation, even though it's basically saying the same thing.
2: Exactly. So that is one of the reasons why we have to make sure that the public understands that there is no reason for an exemption because we don't want them to think. I mean, it sounds plausible that, oh, we don't want the old lady who loves her cat not to have her cat because she can't eat caught. But that doesn't work. We know that that is an exemption that would swallow the rule and it's only put forth as a reason to maintain the status quo. The important thing is that The Paw Project is 100% sure that cats are better off with their claws. And in fact, one of the most interesting things that we run into all the time, which I want your listeners to know, is that in 2009, we passed a series of laws in California. And that is, by the way, the subject of a movie called The Paw Project, which is streaming in multiple places, including Amazon Prime for free that the laws we passed in 2009 were in seven cities. Five of those cities had their own municipal shelters. We took the data, the number of cats relinquished in the five years before the ban and compared it to the five years after the ban. What we found is that every single city had fewer cats relinquished after the ban. Every single city had fewer cats relinquished after the ban. In Los Angeles, it was 40. 3.3% decrease in the number of cats who were relinquished after the bans went into effect. Can you imagine? That is tens of thousands of cats' lives saved. There is a reason that we need to ban declawing. It actually saves cats' lives. The head of LA City Animal Services is a woman named Brenda Barnett, and she absolutely attributes the decrease in the number of cats relinquished to the Los Angeles shelters the declaw ban. It is a marked difference in the one-year jog. So you can imagine that if we could get these bans all across the United States, we would be saving millions of cats. What can we do as individuals? What
1: can we do to help make this happen in our communities?
2: Well, the most important thing I think you can do is make sure that no person you encounter doesn't get that declawing is an amputation and that it's cruel. I recommend that whenever you're talking to anyone, that you bring it up, that you say, hey, do you realize that declawing a cat is actually amputating its toes? Because once they hear it, that is an indelible mark on their brains. They cannot unhear that, and they cannot be told it's something else and believe that it's something else. I mean, it's enough to make them want to research it, and there's ample evidence that declawing is amputating a cat's toes. The other things that you can do is make sure that in any opportunity that you have to educate a large group of people, like a school project or a church project, that you take it. Because if we can make sure that everybody understands what declawing is, it will stop. I really recommend that people who love cats take the time to spread the word because that will stop it. For the states that you list here,
1: the potential bills, active bills, is that information available on the PAW Project website?
2: Yes. That's another thing that you can do. If you want to be active in the legislation, join us. Go on to www.paw.com project.org and sign up for our mailing list. Include your state because whenever there's anything going on in your state, we'll reach out to you and ask you to do something. Because legislators want to hear from people in their state. They don't want to hear from people in the Czech Republic or in uh, China when they're working on legislation in their state. They want to hear from constituents, and that means. If you want to help, get on our mailing list and let us tell you what we need when we need it. Tell me a little bit about this
1: claw-friendly certification program. What, what is that all about? Well, we wanted to make sure
2: that veterinary clinics and the people who believe that declawing is an evil and awful thing to do to a cat, that they could be proudly displaying a sign that says, hey, we are claw-friendly and we're proud that we don't declaw our cats. And your cat can rest assured that it won't get declawed here. You know, one thing that has always worried me, because I hear about it every so often, is that a person brings their cat to be spayed or neutered to a place that declaws, and they declaw the cat. They get mixed up, and they declaw the cat. So we're trying to make a certification program. We know that these people don't declaw, and we want them to advertise it. It starts a conversation, and you can rest assured that if you bring your cat into that hospital, you will not come home with a mistake that your cat was declawed. That's tremendous. And I also feel that it's
1: important to support businesses that will not perform the service. So even from the rescuers out there that are using various clinics, some private practices really use their influence with the private practice veterinarians to try and Convince them to not offer declawing as a service. Is there something else that veterinarians can offer instead of declawing? I know that there are those nail caps. Do you have an opinion on the nail caps or do you just recommend that folks use alternatives for scratching like appropriate scratching posts and behavior modification?
2: I believe that cats scratch is a natural behavior and that they should be allowed to scratch. I believe the nail caps are a good idea if you need some time to train your cat and you don't want the cat scratching before that. But I think that you can clip the claws, you can put the nail caps on while you're training the cat to the appropriate surface, but you have to let your cat choose what the appropriate surface is. A cat who's scratching on the wooden legs of a table probably would prefer a wooden scratching post. A cat who is scratching on carpet would probably prefer a carpet scratching post. So we have to adapt to the cat. Remember that a cat is scratching to mark territory and also to say, hey, this human is my human. So that's why they choose the couch that you sit on or the chair that you sit on. You have to put the scratching post in the middle of the room. It has to be somewhere where the cat feels like this is my territory. Very often I find people say, my cat doesn't use a scratching post, and I ask where it is. I mean, it's behind the dryer in the garage. You know, that's not going to work. The cat needs to scratch where, where everyone is. It's territories. I would recommend that there are lots of humane alternatives that declawing be completely wiped out of this country, and we just celebrate the fact that cats have claws, and we can live with them just like the rest of the world lives with them. Dr. Conrad, if
1: folks are interested in either playing a role or finding out more about
2: the PAW project, they should just go to your website? Well, the website is a good landing area. It's www.paw.com org. We also are on Facebook at Paw Project, and we're on Instagram at Paw Project and Twitter on Paw Project. But probably the website would be the best place to start. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yes. I would like to remind listeners that when dealing with animals, there is a very important lesson that I want them to think about, and that is that when we deal with animals, many people say, I do things compassionately. Well, compassion has a wide berth. You can kill an animal unnecessarily with compassion, or you can declaw an animal with compassion. But if we change our perspective and we look through the eyes of empathy, would you be able to kill an animal unnecessarily with empathy? No. Would you be able to declaw an animal unnecessarily with empathy? No. No. So I really recommend that people take a step back and ask when they're working with animals, am I doing this with empathy and am I doing what I would want done? And I think that will make the world a whole lot better for animals. Dr. Conrad, I want
1: to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future
2: with a long, long list of approved states. Yes, thank you so much for having me.